Our scripture today comes from the first book of Samuel, chapter 7, verses 3 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the astarts from among you. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So Israel put away the Baals and the astarts, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. They fasted that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. The people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, and pray that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty voice that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as beyond Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Jeshana, and named it Ebenezer, for he said, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter again into the territory of Israel. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Over the last couple of weeks, we read about the birth and the calling of Samuel, who grew up in the presence of the Lord to become a faithful prophet in Israel. Unfortunately, Samuel's faithfulness was not rubbing off on the rest of the people. And as a result, things continued to go very poorly for them. One time after being defeated by the Philistines in battle, the Israelites decide to bring the Ark of the Covenant with them onto the battlefield in order to guarantee victory. Of course, Yahweh is not some magical charm that we wave at all of our problems to make them go away or to make things turn out the way that we want. And this time, the Israelites were even more badly defeated. Both of the corrupt sons of the priest Eli were killed, and the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. 
After the battle, a messenger ran all the way back to Shiloh to tell old Eli the news. And when he heard that the ark had been captured, he fell out of his chair, broke his neck, and died. Seven months later, however, after the ark had caused the destruction of the statue of the Philistine god and had caused tumors to break out among the people, the Philistines sent the ark back to the Israelites. Well, having regained the ark, which they believed bore the presence of Yahweh, the Israelites all breathed a collective sigh of relief. After all, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. But now they had their God back. So Samuel calls all the people together, and he basically says to them, are you finally ready to put your trust in God alone? If you want to return to the Lord, then it's time to put away all of your idols. You've got to serve Yahweh only and give your whole heart to him. And then God will deliver you from the Philistines. After all, it was part of God's covenant obligations to his people. If you recall, the Israelites had been struggling with idolatry ever since they entered the Promised Land. Actually, ever since they left Egypt. Remember the golden calf? But when they came into the Promised Land, they, they came into contact with the local Canaanite gods, Baal and Astarte, the gods of war and fertility that promised prosperity and security to all who would bow down before them. And have there ever been more seductive idols than those? And we'll do just about anything to guarantee prosperity and security for ourselves and our children, won't we? And Samuel, knowing that there was an army facing the people, warned them, that it is only God alone that can save them. But when we're facing a terrifying army of Philistines that threatens our lives or our health, our comfort or our happiness, our success or our wealth, our identity or our future, well, we'll bow down but just before just about anything or anyone that promises to deliver us, just as the Israelites did again and again and again. Of course, the Philistines actually played an important theological role in the story. For you see, the threat of the Philistines constantly confronted the Israelites with a choice of where they would put their ultimate trust and allegiance. Would they choose to rely on Yahweh, who had brought them out of Egypt and given them this land? Would they choose to live in faithfulness to their covenant with the one who had demonstrated faith, covenant faithfulness to them again and again? Or would they choose to search after some other means of achieving prosperity and security? It's often hard to bet your life on God when there are so many other promising and more tangible options from which to choose, especially when you're facing a frightening army of Philistines. The truth is, the threat of the Philistines has always presented a challenge to the people of God, even up till this day. We just 
know it by different names. We may know it as unemployment, or retirement, or an empty nest, or living alone. We may call it cancer, or addiction, or divorce, or dementia. Sometimes the grief we experience over the loss of a loved one can feel like we're being attacked by an army of Philistines. So can having a house full of children. And certainly the pressures that our culture puts on us to march the beat of its drum can be very powerful and intimidating. I wonder, what's the name of the Philistine army in your life? That thing that strikes fear in your heart or that causes you to question what you believe in or that tempts you to look to something other than God for life. Well, whatever it is, according to Samuel, the only way to deal with the threat of the Philistines in our lives is to repent and worship. To turn away from all the false gods we are tempted to put our trust in and turn back to the Lord with all of our hearts. And so just as Samuel, or just as Joshua had done before him, Samuel calls the nation back to its covenant with Yahweh. And amazingly, the people respond. They, they begin to fast, and they, they, they confess that they had wandered from the Lord and sinned against God. And when the Philistine army gathered to, to attack them once again, rather than calling for all of their military leaders, instead, the frightened Israelites asked Samuel to pray, to intercede for them before God. And so Samuel offers a sacrifice, and then he cries out to the Lord on their behalf, and the Lord responds. And the Philistine army bore down on the gathered Israelites, surely expecting another massacre. The Lord thundered with a mighty voice against the Philistines, throwing them into such chaos and confusion that they were completely routed by the Israelites. The people cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard their prayer. And when the thunder of the Lord comes down, anything is possible. Of course, if we're honest, most of us would still prefer to rely on the world's largest military budget. After all, divine thunder can be so unpredictable. And isn't it true that the thunder of the Lord seems to come down in response to some of our prayers, but not others? I mean, surely every one of us here today has experienced disappointment with prayer when God did not respond the way that we had hoped. But to be clear, prayer is not a vending machine for us to get what we want out of God. Just as dragging the Ark of the Covenant onto the battlefield was no automatic guarantee of victory, so prayer is not some mechanical means by which we manipulate God into giving us the prosperity and security we crave. Rather, prayer is how we maintain and grow our relationship with God. One of the reasons I think we struggle with prayer is that so often we do not invest in that relationship. And then when an army of Philistines shows up at our door, we cry out to a divine stranger. 
and expect him just to make it all go away. But notice in our text, God's response to the Israelites' prayer came within the context of his covenant relationship with Israel. Samuel had called the people to repent, and they turned back to the Lord with all their hearts, confessing their sins and putting their trust in God alone. It was a renewal of the covenant. And when God's covenant people cry out to God in prayer, God always hears us. Of course, God remains free at all times to respond how God chooses. Sometimes the thunder of the Lord rolls gently, and other times it explodes like lightning. And God's ways of saving us may often surprise us. It may often not be until much later that we even recognize it, if we ever do. But we who worship a crucified and risen Savior should be careful about putting a fence around what answered prayer might look like. It may not be what we expect. Again, prayer is not magic. In fact, we don't actually believe in prayer. No, we believe in the one to whom we pray because our God is faithful. The trouble is that it's, it's so easy for us to forget all the ways that God has answered our prayer and helped us in the past. As time goes by, we have a tendency to write things off to coincidence or to luck or even to our own efforts. Our memory of God's activity in our lives can fade so quickly. That's why it's so important that we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past because that's what helps us put our trust in the Lord in the present and again in the future. And because Samuel understood this, one of the first things that he did after this battle was to, to set up a giant stone as a memorial to God's victory. And he called it Ebenezer, which literally in Hebrew means stone of help. It was a reminder that Yahweh was the rock of Israel and the faithful helper of his people. See, Samuel understood that one of the most important things we can do for our faith is to tell our stories to one another and to our children, to remind ourselves of all the ways that God has shown his faithfulness in our lives. And every time we do that, we are building an Ebenezer to help us remember. And it's so important that we do remember because our Philistine world would very much like us to forget and start worshiping its gods instead. You know, every time Rebecca and I begin to doubt our faith and question God's presence in our lives, we we go back over our story together and remind ourselves of all the times and all the ways that we have experienced the thunder of the Lord in our lives and that God has shown his faithfulness to us. And then we say, oh yeah, I almost forgot. Why would I ever stop trusting God now? And then our faith is renewed. 
You remember after Joshua led the Israelites across the stopped up waters of the Jordan River and into the Promised Land? The first thing that Joshua did was to build a pile of 12 stones, one for each tribe, as a memorial to God. And Joshua instructed the Israelites that when their children asked them, what do those stones mean? They are to say, Israel crossed the Jordan here on dry ground. For the Lord your God stopped up its waters for you until you crossed over. Just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he stopped up for us until we crossed over, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. One of the most important things we can do for our faith is to create memorials of God's faithfulness in our lives. Of course, the best memorial of all, the greatest testimony to what God has done in our lives is the way we live them, the way we treat other people, especially those with whom we disagree or who are different from us, the way we respond in the face of Philistines, the way we keep our promises the way we live with integrity and with Christian morals and ethics, the way we show our gratitude through generous giving and serving others, the way we prioritize worship and put our trust in Christ alone. Lives lived in faithfulness to Jesus Christ, the thunder of the Lord made flesh, are the greatest Ebenezer's of all, demonstrating to our world that Jesus is alive, that he alone is Lord, and that he is faithful. Unfortunately, human beings are often not. And despite Samuel's faithful leadership in Israel, this extraordinary moment of covenant renewal did not last. For in the very next chapter, the people come to Samuel, and in a rejection of God, they ask for a king, someone who would bring them prosperity and security so they could be like all the other nations. Apparently, they forgot to remember the thunder of the Lord. May we never forget.